I want to welcome you once again to Province Road. If you are a guest with us this morning, uh, welcome. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here. Is this thing loud? Is it good? It's okay? Well, of course, my mom would say it's too loud. We are very grateful and thankful that you're here this morning as we continue through our series on the book of Romans. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on your seat. There's seat next to you. Verses will eventually be up on the screen as well. But I do encourage you to open up a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, you can go to the very front table of contents and I'll tell you how to get there. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Let's read. Uh, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to celebrate your greatness this morning, I ask that you would help us to see your beauty. That you would help us to see your supreme value this morning. And that our hearts would be satisfied by what we see of you. Father, I come in weakness this morning, trusting the power of this message does not lie within my own strength, but the power comes from your word and your spirit. For Father, we are dependent upon you that through the Holy Spirit that you would give us understanding and wisdom of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, draw us to yourself. Keep our minds alert this morning. Protect us from the lies of the enemy. Open our hearts to help us to receive your word and cause our hearts to hunger and thirst for you this morning like we've never hungered and thirst for you. Satisfy our hearts with yourself, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. As some of you may or may not know, before I was called to be a pastor of Providence Road Church, I worked for this international sports ministry. And so this organization, what we did was we provided opportunities for Christian athletes and coaches uh, to serve in countries or places that have little to no access uh, to the gospel message. And so uh, this window, or this part of the world, this uh, window of the world, is known as the 1040 window. So that's 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude of the world. Uh, it's made up of North Africa, the Middle East, and into Asia. About 95% of the people that live within the 1040 window have little to no access to the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we get the privilege of hearing this morning. So 95% of the people living in that, in, in that part of the world, I'm not really too sure the statistics how many people, I know it's over a billion people, so over 95% of those billion people have little to no access to the message of God's word that we're going to hear this morning. Now one of the reasons for that is uh, because uh, the dangers that come from people that have the good news of, of salvation in Jesus, or, or our fathers of Jesus, to, to go into these countries. I mean, uh, a lot of these countries are very unstable. Uh, they're very dangerous to live in. And uh, I can remember one of the families, uh, when I was working with their organization, they were processing God's call to go to a country uh, called Yemen. Now, as a husband and wife and two young kids, 
Now, I, I know what most of us or many of us are thinking. Why in the world would you move to such a country? And why would you bring uh, two young kids into this context? Into this unstable, this risky, this dangerous place in the first place? They, they heard this question over and over and over again as they were processing God's call to, to move to this country. And so despite people's question of them and despite people's opinions of them, they went and they moved to Yemen. Now, not too long into their time in that country, this family was kidnapped. Husband, wife, two young kids, they were forced into a vehicle and they were taken outside of the capital city. Now, by God's grace, they escaped. But why? Why in the world would they go? What would motivate them to, to move their whole family to a such a dangerous and unstable place as the country of Yemen. I mean, what would be the motivating factor for them to, to go and, and risk their lives and even the lives of their kids moving into this country? Was it because they loved sports so much? That wasn't the reason why they went. It had really nothing to do with sport. The reason why they moved their family to uh, Yemen and the reason why they took this risk was because of the reality and truths that are found in our passage this morning. There are truths that we're going to find and that we're going to see this morning that actually just radically changes our lives and actually causes us and gives us something to really live for. Because listen to this, if you're willing to die for something, you're willing to truly live for it. Now, the world may not understand this, and some of you may not understand this this morning, but this family truly lived. I mean, they truly lived. Because of the reality and truths that are found in Romans 8.1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those and only those who are in Christ Jesus. So what are we living for? My prayer for us this morning is that we too would see the truths and the reality that are found in our passage this morning. And it would give us and cause us to, to truly live. I mean, live for something so significant. Something so much bigger, something so much more satisfying than popularity or comfort or living to see how many Twitter followers we have or how many Facebook friends we can get or living for the next fraternity or sorority party or striving to be Joanna Gaines. If you guys, guys, you probably don't know who that is. Ladies, you do. Striving for, uh, you know, the promise of retirement. Like there is something that's found within the truths of our passage this morning that truly sets us free to truly live. And, and not only truly live, but give us something so much greater to live for, right? That, something so much greater to live for that, that gives us satisfaction and gives us security and gives us true significance. So let's see what it is. Now let me set this up. Prior to Romans 8.1, so for seven chapters, Paul lays out this grand story. The story that we should see and the story that we should have our lives kind of wrapped up in. And it's the story that God is the supreme value in the universe. That God is to be honored, that he is to be treasured above everything in our lives. And so that as his creation, our lives should revolve around him. And he, and he alone should be our greatest delight and our greatest satisfaction. But as, as, as we have seen, as we kind of walk through the story with Paul, and as we know from our own human experience, we actually don't believe, as human beings, we don't believe that this is actually true. 
We don't believe, deep down within the human heart, the human soul, we do not believe that God alone will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts and souls and that his will for our lives will actually cause us to flourish. Instead, truth is, we believe the opposite to be true. We believe that created things, namely ourselves, will bring us true significance and true satisfaction and true security That's why when the world wakes up in the morning, it wakes up to this natural law, this natural code or bent to ask the question, what is my will for the day? What do I want to do? What is going to bring me the most satisfaction? What is going to bring me the most significance? What is going to bring me the most comfort? What is going to bring me the most uh, security? And so this can be summed up as this law or code within the human heart. We said it before in the past, and I'll say it again this morning. It can be summed up as, I love me some me. That is the human law. That is the human code that lies within the human heart. And so as a result of this, every single person in this city, including you and me, we've actually made uh, God pretty irrelevant in our lives. I mean, if you think about your life and as you think about as you go throughout the day, oftentimes we are, uh, God is is irrelevant to us. Uh, We find him to be pretty indifferent or we find ourselves indifferent to him. And so we have made our lives about really ourselves and making ourselves the hero of the story when in fact it's all about God and his story and him being the hero of the story. So as a result of this or the consequence of this is actually we have chosen to reject God. We have chosen to remove ourselves from fellowship with him. We've chosen to remove ourselves, and this has broken our relationship with him. We have chosen a life without God. Now, as you can expect, this hasn't put a smile on God's face. In fact, Paul says at the very beginning of Romans chapter 1 that what this has actually caused is God's righteous anger to be directed towards you and me because he is very jealous for his name, he's very jealous for his glory, and he's jealous for his creation to find their joy and satisfaction in him and him alone, but we have sought after other things. I mean, guys, what do we expect? That God would somehow be delighted that his creation turned their back on him? I mean, what do we think that this is actually some minor thing that we as the creation has made ourselves the center of his story? It's not a minor thing. And in fact, it's called cosmic treason. Or as the Bible describes it or explains it or says, it's sin. So listen very carefully. Out of all the issues that we face on planet Earth as human beings, and there's a lot of them, nuclear capability, Government corruption, hunger, terrorism, injustices uh, being done in the name of religion, which, by the way, all of these are evidences that human beings love me some me, right? But of all the issues that we face on planet Earth, the greatest issue that we face as humanity is our rebellion against our Creator. Now, I know that the world may not believe this, they may not see this, and some of you here this morning who, who may not have a Christian worldview, you, know, you, you may not see this to be true, and I can understand why, because in many ways these issues are major, major issues. But listen, if it's true 
that humanity was created by this God for us to submit to his goodwill for our lives and for us to honor and treasure him above all things and for us to find our, our deepest satisfaction and delight in him, but we have totally rejected him. If that's true, then your greatest issue, my greatest issue, humanity's greatest problem then is actually receiving the consequence of our rejection of him, which is God's rejection of us. So your greatest issue, my greatest problem, every single person who woke up in the city of Norman's greatest issue is to be rejected and condemned by God for what we have done, for this is actually what we deserve. And this is the declared sentence that God has placed upon humanity. And that sentence is condemned. There is condemnation for your rebellion. There's condemnation for my rebellion. We're all in the same boat. Every single person who woke up in this, in, in this city, in this nation, in, in all the nations of the world, we're all in the same boat. We are condemned and rejected by God because of our rebellion. And like it or not, God has every right to do this. Because how could God let, un, God, uh, God indifferent, God ignoring, God in hating, hating, idol-loving people like you and me actually be a part of his eternal kingdom? How could he do that? I mean, how could he allow people like us, re- re- rebellious creation, to actually be a part of his kingdom and be in his presence? And the answer is he can't. He can't allow people like us to be in his presence. And this, guys, is the greatest tragedy. This is the greatest tragedy of the human race. And this should actually cause our souls to be deeply grieved for humanity and ourselves because this is what we actually deserve is rejection of God or by God. Let's just sit in that for just a moment. Because by sitting in it, we can may, just may become uh, acknowledging and accepting the reality of what we actually deserve, the bad news, which then leads us to this question, please tell me there's a way. Is there a solution? Is there a way for us actually, uh, for those of us who have, all of us who have turned our backs against our, our creator, is there an actual way for God then to, be, uh, to forgive us and accept us back into relationship with him? Please tell me there's a way. Please tell me there's a solution. And not only that, but how can we, as God-hating, God-indifferent, God-ignoring, idol-loving people actually now become God-loving people, God-treasuring people? God honoring people when by nature we are not. Is the solution God's laws and commands? Is the solution trying to be good enough? Like maybe, just maybe, if we start right now and we work really hard to obey God and his commands and his will for our lives, and we try uh, to live uh, good moral lives and, and, and try to have the best behavior that we can possibly can, can have, and we go to church three or four times a, a, a month and, 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 and baptism, all these things, is that, is that the solution? Is that actually going to remove ourselves from underneath God's condemnation? I mean, is, is right living going to be able to take away this sentence of condemnation and, and guilt for our sin and, and, and rebellion? Is, is that the solution? Paul says in verse 3, it's not. Look at it. 
God says, God has done what the law or God's commandments weakened by the flesh could not do. So what Paul is saying is that obedience to God's law cannot make up for our rebellion. Being a good enough person, morality, righteous living cannot remove the sentence of condemnation and remove our guilt. Morality alone, good behavior alone, going to church, as I mentioned, three or four times a month is not going to allow us to hear the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. Because the law, listen very carefully, the law cannot remove the sentence. It actually reveals and increases that we are actually condemned people, that we have failed. So let's take a test real quick. College students, it's okay, you're going to fail this one. And it's actually really good uh, that you accept an F on this one and you acknowledge it. Let's just do this real quick. This is God's will for us. This is his commands over our lives. This, this is what he, how he wants us to live. And it's this, God says to us, Love me more than your kids, because I'm more valuable than your kids. I'm more precious than your kids. Treasure me more than your spouse, because I am more treasurable. I am more important. I have more value than your spouse. Make me more important in your career, because I am more important than your career. Be dependent upon me, and not so much on your money and savings account, because I bring true security, not your money and your savings account. Think more highly of me than your own reputation, because I'm more significant than your own reputation. Now do it perfectly. How do we do? We do okay? Listen, God's grading scale is pretty black and white. It actually grades harder than Dr. Perry. <laughs> There's no curve on this one, right? Everyone gets the same grade because we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We've all rebelled against him. We've all chosen to treasure and love created things more than the creator. As Paul says in his famous verse of Romans 3.23, which most of us probably know and memorize as, as, as kids in Sunday school, right? We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why God's laws and commands and obedience to his commands isn't the solution to the sentence or to remove the sentence of condemnation. It only reveals it. Now, to make matters worse, the law itself... God's command, which is so good. Guys, to love God above all things and love our neighbor as ourselves, which Jesus sums up, that's the law, that's command for us. Isn't that good? It's awesome. But the problem is, outside of us, the law out here cannot make us into God-honoring, God-loving, and God-treasuring people. You know why? Because the sin within us is just simply too powerful. It's too powerful. So what Paul says in, in, in 8.3, it's not only that the law cannot remove the sentence of condemnation, it cannot make us into God-loving people. Think of it like this. Our flesh is like a hungry lion, and God's law and his commands are like carrots. Now, if you put the carrot in front of the lion, can the lion eat the carrot? Yeah, he can eat the carrot. Does he desire the carrot? Absolutely not. Why? Because he just wants meat, doesn't he? He just hungers for meat. He just thirsts for meat. He just has this desire with him, not for carrots, but for meat. And that's true of our sinful nature. We don't desire by nature. Human beings do not desire to obey and treasure God above all things. What do we desire most? We desire to, to treasure and love and put ourselves above everything else. That's the human nature. Our, our, our human nature doesn't desire God. It desires sin. 
And so that's why if you look on Amazon and you do a self-help search on Amazon, you will find 650,000 books on self-improvement plans. And this is why they will not work because self-improvement plans cannot change our desires to love ourselves any less. They're broken. And, And this is why trying any other way Uh, Any other solution, for example, like, uh, I don't know about you, but before I became a follower of Jesus, I I had this this serious sense of guilt and shame and loneliness within my soul. And so what did I do? I turned to addictions. Alcohol, for example, was my choice. I went to the bottle to drown out my guilt and try to take away my guilt and shame and loneliness. But you know what? What happened the next morning? Still there. Couldn't remove it. That's what addictions, addictions do. They, 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 they promise, right? They promise, oh, I'll take care of you and I'll remove these things from you. Whatever uh, addiction, you know, uh, you may struggle with. It, it, that's the promise that it places over you. But the reality is it cannot remove your guilt and shame and loneliness and condemnation. So we need something better and bigger and stronger than the bottle, don't we? Like we, we need something bigger and better than self-improvement plans. What we actually need is a Savior, guys, who can come and rescue us once and for all and take away the sentence of condemnation for us forever. And what we need is actually new power. What we need is actually new nature that actually helps us become the people that we actually want to be, God-loving people, and, and, and give us this new ability and desire now to actually be God-loving, God-treasuring people. So what we actually need is God not to reject us, but he actually for him to come and save us. And Paul gives us the most glorious news, guys. He gives us the, the greatest news that we could ever hear, found in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? I don't know why, guys, but God has come for us. I don't know why God has not rejected us. Actually, I do know why. It's because of the depths of his great love for us and love for his glory and for redeeming a people to himself and bring us back into relationship with him so that we can be made new, that we can be a people that actually now are God-loving, God-treasuring people. That we can hear today and tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and all the way into the eternity that we can hear the most beautiful and the freeing words that we can ever hear. There is no condemnation. I don't condemn you. I don't reject you. In fact, it's the opposite. I welcome you. I embrace you. I welcome you back into my kingdom, back into my presence, back into enjoying me for eternity. This is the most amazing news, guys. It's not advice, it's news. It's what news what God has done for us. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.3. For what, the, what God has done, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What did he do? He sent his own son. And the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Guys, may we not miss... The magnificent work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in this passage to accomplish our salvation. You see the Father? You see Him in His glory and His love? What did He do? He sent His one and only Son. And what did His one and only Son do? 
He took on flesh and blood. He became like us. Though he wasn't like us in that he knew no sin. He is the only human being to walk this earth without a sin nature. And he's the only person who's actually ever performed perfectly on God's final exam. He lived a life that you should have lived. He lived a life that I should have lived. He knew no rebellion. And he what? He went to the cross and our sin was placed upon Jesus Christ at the cross. And you know what the Father did? Condemned our sin. Condemned our sin at the cross of Christ. By condemning his son, he allows us not now to receive that condemnation because Jesus Christ received the condemnation for you and me. You see the preciousness of Jesus? You see how precious the Father is and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the righteous one, willingly obeying his Father and suffering on our behalf, taking our sin, our condemnation upon himself, and he received our condemnation. So you and I would never have to taste it. The Son drank the cup of God's wrath and was rejected by the Father, so the Father cannot, can, can be just in welcoming us this morning and not rejecting us. So we can drink deeply of His love this morning. We can drink deeply of His acceptance. That's what the Father has done for us. That's what the Son has done for us. That's what the Holy Spirit has done for us. So listen, guys, you want to be free? You want freedom? Yes? We want freedom? What's the solution? It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He alone is the solution to free us from sin, to free us from condemnation, to free us from death, and to free us to enjoy God forever all through the work and person of Jesus Christ. That's where freedom comes from. You want new life? You want new powers to actually uh, obey God and and new desires to, to treasure God above all things? Solution, the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and now he sends the Holy Spirit to live and dwell within those who are in Christ. And now through the Spirit of life, Paul says in verse 2, which is the Holy Spirit. And as we'll see as we continue through uh, through chapter 8, it's the Spirit of Christ. So the Spirit of Christ lives and dwells within his people, guys. The one who loved God above all things lives and dwells within us. Now we have the ability to what? To love God. And to honor him and to treasure him through the work of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life living within us. Do we do it on our own flesh? No. On our own strength? No. On our own willpower? No. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us, applying the truths of the gospel in Jesus and his work in the person of Jesus living and dwelling within us, that now we're free, guys. Not only from condemnation, but we're free now to have new life of walking out the commands that Jesus places upon us. We have new ability now. we got power now because of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're looking to Jesus to be your only hope of salvation, he's your greatest treasure, you trust him to take away your sin, you trust him to be your righteousness, then listen, I want you to stop. Maybe you need to close your eyes this morning and just receive the voice of God that says to you this morning, I do not condemn you. I don't condemn you. Do you need to receive the reality as a result of this, of God's pleasure and love directed towards you because you are in his son, Jesus Christ? 
Let that wash away your fear of him. Let, you, let that wash away your fear of punishment in the future. Because there is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, listen, this is our assurance as Christians. If you need assurance this morning, if you struggle with doubts like I do at times and assurance at times, then let us be assured as we look at this passage, God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit is the author of your salvation. He's the initiator of your salvation. He is the mastermind of your salvation. And he's done it all for you because there's nothing that you can do to remove yourself under the sentence of condemnation. There's only one solution. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit accomplishing salvation for you. Good news? It's amazing news. So then the question is, are you tasting that freedom and joy in him this morning? Or are you still tasting, if you're in Christ, that you're still under his condemnation. I'm borrowing this illustration, but I want, I, want, I want to use this illustration to help us kind of see how this actually affects the way in which we live. Suppose that you are on a trial and you're in courtroom and a guilty verdict is death and not guilty verdict means freedom in life. And su- suppose the judge says to you, he says this, there's two ways we can deal with this. I can acquit you right now. And I can let you go. I can declare you not guilty even though you are guilty. I can treat you as a righteous law keeper in my eyes even though that you have not kept the law. And I can release you. Now you're free to go. And you're free to live a life free of love and sacrifice and service showing how great and glorious I am as your judge freeing you. Or I can release you. But I'm going to give you a parole officer to watch you. I'll let you go. But you're going to have to prove to this court by your life. And we're going to have a trial later on. And I'm going to base the verdict on whether your behavior was satisfactory or not. You see the difference? In one case, you are free from condemnation. And with gladness, you live this life that shows the great and glorious judge who frees you in his love and his mercy. Now you obey, not to get accepted by him. You're accepted by him, therefore now you obey him. Well, the opposite, that you live with this trial hanging over your head, like this future verdict is still over you. And that you have to somehow measure up in the end based on on your behavior, if it's satisfactory or not. Listen, the greatest tragedy, if you are a Christian this morning, if you are in Christ, is to live with this trial over your head, this future verdict, when when the sentence is already in. And it's not guilty. The sentence is in, and it's no condemnation. I mean, this is a tragedy for us as Christians to live with this future verdict of punishment when it's actually already been taken care of in the past. And you know what? This is the reality for my own life. So I, I know from experience. We cannot, I cannot, you cannot taste God's love and pleasure for you in Christ Jesus if you're living in the fear of this future punishment. It just is not going to happen. So if you struggle with that, like I do, I want you to listen to a verse that's been helpful for me. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
If we are in Christ this morning, there is no fear, there should be no fear of this future punishment because it was taken care of at the cross of Christ. God's wrath was put out upon His Son so that we can drink deeply the soul-quenching cup of His love and His grace and His mercy and His acceptance of us this morning. There is nothing more satisfying, guys, than the love of God. Nothing. It's better than wine. It's better than the approval of man. It's better than any addictions that we're finding a significance and satisfaction in. His love is greater than anything else. And tasting the love and the acceptance that we have in Jesus is better than life. And so if you're in Christ, listen to this. God loved you before the foundation of the world. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He knew you before you were born, and he set his electing love on you, and he saved you through the work of his son Jesus, and so therefore we love him because he first loved us. So just let that wash over you this morning. Let that wash away any fear that you may have of him, fear of punishment, that there's good fear that we should have of God, that he is above all things, He's existed before everything and He will always exist. He is eternal God and He is holy God and we should, should have this reverence for Him above all things. But the fear of punishment, if you're in Christ, should be no more. And let that truth wash you away. And let that truth actually now, because of this vertical relationship that we are accepted and forgiven by God, bend it towards your spouse, for example. I don't know about you, but in marriage can be challenging and difficult. And there's things that at times that we begin to have tensions in marriage and maybe there's things that I, oh not maybe, there's things that I've done wrong. Like how is Sinead going to have the power to forgive me? And how, how am I going to have the, the, the ability and power to actually forgive Sinead for the wrongs that she has done to me? Answer, solution, what is it? Romans 8.1. We go back, guys, again and again and again and see that even though we are sinners in Christ Jesus, God does not forgive us. He is actually, or he does forgive us, I should say. He does forgive us. That would be really bad news. And we should also just, uh, I guess, go do whatever we want, right? There's forgiveness. We take that forgiveness. And we bend it towards our spouse. And it's not only just a marriage. It, this is in, in, in any relationship. We take this continual fount of, of Jesus' blood that washes over our sin and we just take buckets, right? A buckets of grace and buckets of mercy that we have been shown in Christ Jesus and we just dump them on the heads of our spouses or any other relationship. We forgive as we have been forgiven. We don't judge as he does not judge us anymore in Christ Jesus. What happens if like, you do something and, and, and your kids distance themselves from you. I know a lot of us have young kids. Some of us have older kids. What if we, what if we fail? What if you fail at parenting? Any of you fear failure at parenting? Listen, you're not going to be able to make up and redeem your failures. Do you realize that? Can't do it. But who can? God can. God can redeem our failures. God is in the business of restoration. He is in the business of, of restoring brokenness. So if you ever find yourself, maybe you find yourself this morning and, and, and there is this brokenness within a relationship within a parent and child. And parent, maybe it's your fault. You now have the freedom 
because of the forgiveness that you have found in Christ to humble yourself and go to your kid and admit your wrong, admit your failures. And walk in this freedom, trusting and asking that the Father would bring reconciliation to this broken relationship by His grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's the freedom that we have. We can admit our failures. I've admit my failures almost every day to my kids in Shanae. There's freedom here to do that because God redeems our failures and he restores brokenness. How does this affect the way in which we live and we treat and love those in this city who are not in Christ? Because the opposite of Romans 8 is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what this means is, is there is still condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. We see that? We understand that, we feel that, but the reality is that there are thousands of people who woke up this morning in this city who are still under the sentence of condemnation because they are not in Christ Jesus. And guys, we have the solution, we have the remedy, we have this news of our great and glorious God who came to rescue us and free us. And so listen, if we have this remedy that this city so desperately needs, then why should we not give our time? Why should we not give our money? Why should we not give our ambitions to sharing and spreading this news of our great and glorious Savior to the people of this city? And among the unreached nations of the world, why would we not risk our lives or our reputations? Guys, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to us in this city? Someone's going to talk bad about us. This is a while ago. Have, have you been to the city dump? Anyone been in the city dump here? Let me explain the city dump to you. You have a truck full of stuff or whatever, your car. You, you roll into the city dump, big warehouse. You back it in, and you start unloading all of your unwanted stuff with everyone else's unwanted stuff. It smells her, It's horrible smell. But as I was unloading all my unwanted stuff with everyone else's unwanted stuff, this thought came to my mind. This is eventually where everything that I have is going to end up. My car, my clothes, my shoes, my TV, my phone, my computer, all the things that, I, that, that, that take up so much of my time and my attention, so many things that I worked so hard to actually obtain is all going to end up here. And so this thought just gripped my soul. How foolish is it, guys, to live a life that's going to end up in the city dump? But how great and glorious is it to live a life that bears fruit for eternity? Do we realize and do we see the greatness of Jesus? Do, do we see that He is the greatest treasure? Is He not the greatest treasure? Yes, he's the greatest treasure. If he's the greatest treasure to us, then he is worth spreading the news about the great and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, to the people of this city. I mean, who's going to tell your neighbor? Who's going to tell those you work with? Who's going to tell those in your fraternity sorority? Who's going to tell those in your dorm? Who's going to tell, uh, tell those in your family about this great and glorious God who provides a way for us to remove ourselves underneath condemn condemnation and not be rejected by him, but actually be embraced and accepted by him now and into eternity? We've got the solution. We've got the remedy. So let's give our lives to spread the news about him. 
And listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're looking to something else for significance and satisfaction and something else to save you and bring you uh, maybe out from underneath the the condemnation, even though you may not think in those terms. Listen, I hope that you have seen the reality and the truth is you are under the condemnation of God because of your rejection of him. And for those of us in Christ, we were there, we're not anymore. Why? Because of Jesus and our faith and trust in him. So if that is you and you've never placed your faith and trust in him and become in Christ and be taken out from underneath the condemnation of God, then do it, at, do it now. Come to him. For Jesus is, is calling you to come. As the song goes, the Father's arms are open wide. And forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. Leave behind your, your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Guys, bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life will be born. Jesus is calling. He calls sinners to come to him. He doesn't call the righteous, he calls sinners. Come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You come to Christ, then you can hear these words. I will be your life. I will be your righteousness. I will be your pardon because I will be your condemnation. The only way to hear I do not condemn you is in Christ Jesus. So come to him. And if you are in him, take this verse and memorize it this week. Consume your heart and your mind with the truths that are found in this passage. Meditate on it. And let it cause you to be worshipers of him and to treasure him above all things and to see that his love is better than wine. His love is better than anything else this world promises us. Everything else will leave us empty. Everything else will leave us wanting more. But Jesus and Jesus alone satisfies the deepest longings of our souls, guys. Let's pray. Father, I I don't know what to say other than thank you. Father, I I know myself to be a One who has rejected you. Father, I see myself as one who has ignored you. I see myself as one who has been indifferent to you and and I've made myself the, the hero of the story. It's me, Father. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace in Jesus. I know I deserve to be rejected, but you don't reject me. Father, you don't reject your people. For those that are in your son, you don't reject us, but from the foundation of the world, you set your mind and love upon us, and you chose us in your son, and you sent your son to redeem us. And Jesus, you lived the life that we failed to live, and you willingly took our place on that cross, and you received the punishment for us. So we thank you, Jesus. That now, right now, that we can hear the most precious words from you, Father, which says, I do not condemn you. Father, help us to to sense that and see that and taste it this morning. 
Free our souls, Father, with that news. We know our souls are free, but help us to see that and taste it. That it may cause us to be worshipers of you, that it will cause us to lay down our lives and give up everything because you're worth more than our savings account, you're worth more than our money, you're worth more than everything, Father. We're going to continue to celebrate the greatness of our Savior and greatness of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has accomplished salvation for us, and we're going to do that by taking the Lord's Supper together. As Jesus was gathering with his friends, his disciples, before he went to the cross, he took the the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. Then he takes the cup. He said, this is my blood which is going to be shed, it's going to be poured out. I'm going to drink the cup of, Father, of your wrath for my people so they can drink deeply of your acceptance and love and grace and mercy. And that's what Jesus has done. That's what he did. He went to the cross willingly. He willingly did it for the Father's glory and for his eventual glory and for our joy and for our salvation. He did it. So this is what I want us to do. If you are in Christ this morning, I want you to take some time and just just think about the reality and the truth that Jesus Christ has freed you from the law of sin and death. And through the spirit of life, through the spirit of Christ, through his death on the cross, and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you are free. You're free. You're free today, this morning. You're free tomorrow. And you're free into eternity because of what Christ has done for you. And for your continual clinging to Jesus as your only hope of salvation. So thank Him. Worship Him. Celebrate the greatness of who Jesus is for you and what He's done. And when you're ready, I want you to come and I want you to, to take of the Lord's Supper. But listen, if you're not in Christ, same invitation that I gave earlier. Come to Jesus. See Him for the great Savior that He is. See Him as the only solution to remove the sentence of condemnation and to bring you back into relationship with God. He's waiting with open arms. He's calling you. Come. Come to Him and confess your need for Him and receive the work that He's accomplished on behalf of sinners. Listen, if that's not you and you need to have some more time to process, let me encourage you to stay, but let me encourage you not to wait. If you do wait and you leave, we're going to be continuing to pray the Holy Spirit will give you understanding and see and bring conviction of sin and see that Jesus is the great Savior that you need. But if that's you, I want you to stay where you're at and continue to reflect on who Jesus is. But if you are in Christ, when you're ready, I want you to come and I want you to celebrate with all God's people what Christ has done for us. There'll be two stations up here, and I believe one in the back. So when you're ready, come and celebrate the greatness of Jesus.